0: Here's the thing with love. Everybody loves love. I did a series like three years ago, I think called Love Does, and I used the same example. Everybody loves love. We love love. Oh, I love love. Love, love, love you. All our artwork in our homes are, oh, I love and love and everything. And our shirts are just love and heart and love. everything is love. We love love until we have to love. Just like I said. Love sounds so easy and so cute and love is like rose petals falling down and love like is, it sounds amazing, but just like the video said, love actually is super messy and really ugly and a lot of work. Can I get an amen? Amen. To truly love, to do it well, to do it the way that God did it for us is really complicated, isn't it? But it's like the basis of the gospel. Like anything you believe about being a Christ follower, anything that you stand on as a Christian, uh, it all has to do with how we handle and how we operate and how we walk in the idea of love and loving one another. Right. Yeah. I'll say it like this. It's easy to pretend that you love God. You can come in here and I love God and God and I love and in my relationship with God and I, that, that's easy to pretend to do. But do you know what's not easy. It's not easy, it's actually hard to pretend to love your neighbor. You can't pretend that, can you? Because it's seen, it's noticed, it's felt, you have actual physical interactions, don't you? He like mows two strips into your yard. He blows his grass into, oh man, I'm just talking for myself, Never mind. And I'm not talking obviously about just your neighbor, I'm talking about people. It's easy to pretend to love God it is hard to pretend that we love people, but God has called us to love people. People ask me all the time, they say, why is religion so different than the way that we see Jesus? So people that are asking about the church or what I do or how I've given my life to, to pastoring, people say, how, how come it's so different when we hear about Jesus or we read about Jesus? How come the church and religion looks so different than the Jesus that we hear about? And the answer is really, really easy. Jesus, every time walked perfectly in love. The church far too often walks in performance and rules. Are you with me? In religion. Religion is rules, works, rights. Well, this is our right as a Christian. I've earned this. I deserve this. How many have ever thought that way as a Christian? I grew up in church, I've served this long, I've achieved this, it is now my right to be able to act this way. You may have ever met those kinds of Christians. So we've built religion into this institution of performance and rights and works, instead of building in how can I love you? Anybody with me today? (laughs) If our message and our model and our mission was simply to show up on the scene and find a way to love somebody, I think the church would be so much further ahead. Don't you think? But instead we come in and we try to judge and categorize and set rules. And are you with me? But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. And so we'll get into it and what Jesus says here. So let me set the scene. Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he's spending time with his disciples. Now his disciples, I don't want you to think are like elitist. Okay, so everybody thinks like, oh, these are the ones that Jesus, you know, gathered and brought among himself. No, they're very normal people. They're us. Actually, many would even say they're they're sort of the outcast. Probably at one point in their life, they were actually uh, told to go do something else other than follow a rabbi or be involved in ministry. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, you're good enough to follow. Are you are you with me? And so these disciples are with him. He's about to go to the cross and he's dropping some pretty heavy information on them uh, before he goes to the cross and ascends to heaven. In this uh, John chapter 13, you see uh, where he washes the disciples' feet, which again, for these Jewish men was like, what is this guy doing You know, to us to wash our feet? This isn't how... So you see the foot washing. You also see uh, where Jesus begins to talk of ascending into heaven, where he's going to be leaving earth. If you read in John 13, they're, they're going like, wait a minute, what does this mean? You're, you're, you're leaving us. And he sort of gives them like, <laughs> like you would tell a kid, you'll, you'll figure it out when you get older. You know, he tells them like, we'll worry about it later. But a big moment he's having with them. He also talks about how there's going to be a betrayal. And in the same chapter, he also talks about how Peter's going to deny him, which I mean, you know, the closeness of Peter to Jesus. There's like a lot of huge things said here, but then he says this to these Jewish men in the same chapter, John chapter 13, verse 34, he says a new command, wasn't a suggestion, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must, again, not a suggestion, so you must love one another. So again, to these Jewish men, for Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher, to show up and say, hey, I'm giving you a command, uh, that was really, really serious and really, really life-changing. And so he says, I'm giving you this new command. Again, not a suggestion, not, hey, it might be a good idea if you try this. This is a command. Here's the meaning of, the co- of command. A co- the definition of command is to direct authoritatively. So Jesus, who is your Lord and Savior, uh, hopefully if you've come to follow him and, and put your faith, hope, and trust in him, he said it to them. He's saying the same thing to you today, this morning, through his word. He's saying the same thing with the same tone, a direct, authoritatively statement. He's saying to you, here's the command, and it's this, love one another as I have loved you. And then he says it like this, so you must love one another. You must. Not try. Not maybe. Oh, do your best. We must do this. It's not, it's not an idea it was in order. Do you understand the weight of this? So he's talking to these Jewish men who were raised in a temple. They would have kept all the laws. They would have kept all the rules. They would have had the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. They would have had it memorized. There's nothing that they would have sort of had unchecked. Wait a minute. He's talking about love one another. I didn't sit in on that class. I, didn't, I don't know much about No, they had it all perfectly in order. And he says, a new command I give to you, which is interesting for them because they're going, wait a second, new command, new commandment. One translation says, they're saying, well, we have the 10. Doesn't he know about, you know, coming down with the tablet? And so the 10, but then before that, in their mind, they would have also known of over 600 others that they kept before the 10. Why? Because they were rule keepers. They were people who kept things in religious order. Yeah. Are you tracking with me? Yeah. The way that they said, how do we follow God? How do we stay in good order with God? They would be like, by keeping these rules. Yeah. And Jesus shows up and he's like, here's what it comes down to. How you love one another. Yeah. They're going, what? 10 and these 600. And now this guy's showing up and saying, the way that we do this thing is by how we love one another. Yeah. Huge change for them. It so changes the way that literally they, their whole life, the whole way they would have been motivated, the whole way they would have interacted. Basically, because this sounds like a good Bible verse, like a, a good Sunday school. Like, love your neighbor as yourself, and then love me. And, the, and you're like, oh, that sounds good. No, you don't understand the redirect that just got dropped on them. Are you with me? And it should be a redirect for us. Because the way that we also think that we, follow God and love God. Well, I come to church and I read my word and I, be with me. The same redirect should be happening to us. No, no, no. What it comes down to is how do you love one another? And so for them, the same thing happens as it happens to us. And all of a sudden what they were familiar with got wrecked. And this unfamiliar idea comes in. And anytime something feels unfamiliar in our life, it automatically feels wrong, doesn't it? Oh wait, they're asking me to do this and change my life this way? That can't be. We've always done it this way. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times I feel like we miss loving people because we look back to what's familiar. No, this is how I've always done it. I only love these kinds of people this way who believe this way because that's what I'm familiar with. Are you with me? He said, no, 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 now, because these Jewish men, they would have only fought to love and protect other Jews. And now Jesus is saying, hey, everyone. Yeah. And how do you love them? You love them the way I loved you, which is what? Unconditionally. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, right? right? That's what this is doing, like, oh, my gosh. And so he's saying, look, I'm taking this from an idea of rules and systems and structures to I'm making love in action. I'm saying the way that we live this out is literally it has to be something that you live. Here's what I believe. I believe that the enemy is not afraid of, because I believe we have an enemy. I believe there is a devil. I believe there is somebody out to kill, steal, and destroy. But I believe that the enemy is not afraid of Bible studies. They're good, and we value them, and we do them. But if all we do is have Bible studies, then I think the enemy would be okay with that. Are you with me? I think the enemy is not afraid of Facebook Christians you're resharing and posting and clicking like on all your, right? I don't even think that the enemy's afraid of church crowds or our ability to quote scripture because the scripture says that even demons can cry out Lord, Lord and quote scripture. He's not afraid of how we sing worship songs, even though that is how we fight our battles and we do put our words. But if we do not have love, are you with me? if we do not love one another, if all of those things are all we do, yet we never take a step toward loving one another, then I think it puts no pressure on our enemy. Are you with me? But if we can find, if God can find some people who genuinely care about loving one another, loving their community, are you with me? Loving well, if you can find those people, I believe that begins to turn up the pressure on our enemy. I'll tell you this truthfully. I believe from when when these words were spoken by Jesus, where he says, look, love your neighbor and love them in the way that I loved you. I believe that we are the furthest away from doing that as we've ever been in all of human history. How can you say that? I can say that because we have never been a more selfish culture than we are now. We are so unbelievably selfish. All we do is filter things through, how does this affect me? What do I get out of this? We literally have a term for it. We are a selfie generation. Look at me, look at me, look what I'm doing, look what I'm gaining. Are you with me? Everything is custom for you. Basically, every product, every sales pitch, every everything in life comes to you and says, what can I do to perfectly fit you? Because it's all about you. We even have this saying that says, you need to live your truth. No, I believe there's an absolute truth. Are you with me? But now we've even come up with a term for how to be selfish. I'm living my truth. Stop apologizing. Are you with me? And so we have I-centered everything. iPad, iPod. I. But we've created this culture that just thinks I, I, I. Some of you get into your car, and your car literally remembers what you want. Moves your seat up for you, turns all the things. You're so selfish, even your car works for you. Don't even get me started on you mattress people. You I comfort sorta. I need it my way. Are you you tracking with me, people? Everything we do in culture has to do with self-serving, doesn't it? That's why I can make the bold statement saying I would argue that we're the furthest away from living out this truth than we've ever been before. Why? Because we've built everything about us. Think about my phone. My phone literally won't even open unless it sees me. <laughs> Facial recognition for those of you that are like, what? I don't... <laughs> Put my phone up. It needs to see who? Me. Because I'm the one, right? Literally everything we do is based on me. And this scripture is coming in and saying, no, no, no. You love everybody as yourself. You love everybody as is." Are you tracking with me? Yeah. I've seen it creeping into ministry. You see pastors out there. The majority of their uh, emphasis as their church is a picture of them preaching and their quo. And, we're, and it's me, me, me. Their church is built on the minister. How many of you have seen that? It's starting to get into ministry. You see people that are getting into ministry as careers. And they're only involved in the section of the church that involves their gifting. I don't care about all that. I don't want to be a part of the body. I just want to be a part of my trade within the ministry. Are you with me? It's even gotten into the church. Here's what I would say. I love this quote. You don't have to be famous to be found faithful. We need to stop making things so much about our platforms and our pedestals. And we need to just start being concerned with faithfulness. Are you with me? Not who's noticing, not who cares, not what I got from it. Are you being faithful to what God's called you to? self is a bottomless pit. That's the problem with self is it's a bottomless pit. You may think you finally get enough, enough attention, enough stuff, enough achievement, enough success. You're finally going to get to a point where you have enough. Then you'll be satisfied and you can start to be concerned with loving others. But self is a bottomless pit. You'll never get there. Amen. Amen. I thought about this. Um, That's why the book of Acts says that it's better to give than to receive. It's better to be a person who loves somebody else than it is to always be concerned with what you can get. I thought about this. Every great thing that has ever happened in human history happens because somebody had love for somebody else. You can think about all of the major changes all throughout history. At some point, somebody was motivated with love to see the world better. You can even think about how our servicemen and women serve. They give their lives for this country and for our freedom. Why do they do that? It's motivated by love. Have you ever seen a single mom? She's out there working two jobs, not taking anything for herself to provide for her kids. Why? Because she's motivated by love for them. Are you with me? It's it's love that motivates the world. It's love that changes everything. Amen. Think about it like this. Jesus used love to change the world, not his records of right or his authority. Jesus didn't come here and show up on the scene and start saying to everybody, Follow me because look how right I am. See how I'm right? See how I'm right? See how I'm right? See how I'm I'm better? See how I'm better? We show up on the scene and do that all the time. Here's why you should follow me and listen to me because I'm right. I'm always right. I have it all figured out. He didn't show up leading the world by how right he was, even though he was. (coughs) He motivated the world by love. The other thing he didn't do was show up with authority and change the world. But we knew he had the ability because at times he used his authority to what? Calm seas, change the weather, do different things. Yeah. But he didn't show up into cities and say, you will follow me and now you'll follow me. And yeah, right. It was his love that changed the world. Right. The message of the gospel is a message of love. Yeah. And so our question is this. How much are we called to love somebody? How much are we called to love somebody? Point number one is this. You are called to love to the level that Christ loves us. Point number one is love to the level that Christ loves us. The scripture says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. We were raised, maybe you were raised with this idea. Do unto others as they would do to you. Maybe your standard used to be, hey, this is how much I'm going to love somebody. I'm going to do unto them as they would do unto me or do unto others as I would have them do unto me. That would be the standard. But Jesus is saying, no, you are called to love some. And I know this is practical, but you're called to love people to the standard that I loved you, which is what? Unconditionally. Unconditionally. You may have heard it said like this, treat others as you would like to be treated. we treat others as Jesus treated us with perfect love unconditionally. You could say it like this. We love others the way that Christ has loved you. That's how you're called to love. You can look at it in Romans chapter five, verse eight. God literally demonstrates this for us. In Romans chapter five, verse eight, it says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While you were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, I don't know if I should love them. They're kind of messed up well, I don't know if I should love them and give them my time and my attention and my prayers. I don't know if I should reach out to them because, you know, they keep messing it up and they're saying, do you know what they're doing? When you were doing that, Christ came and died for you. When you were a sinner, when you were jacked up, when you were messed up, when you didn't have it together, God showed his love to you by giving his best. So it doesn't matter if they don't have it together, if they don't have it put together, if they're not doing, we do like Jesus and we give ourselves to them a good spot to say amen, but that's fine. I got two more points. (laughs) He loved us when we were sinners unconditionally, but here's the problem. We all, so I'm going to get down into the truth with us, all of us walk in prejudice. That's the truth of it all. When it comes to loving our neighbor, when it comes to loving somebody who may be unlovable, the reason that we have complications is because we walk in prejudice. Here's what prejudice is. Prejudice is a prejudgment. Prejudice, a prejudgment. So you show up on the scene and you may say, well they've messed up before. I'm going to I'm going to guard myself. And there's there's truth to boundaries and things like that, but you wouldn't withhold love. And so you say, well they always do this or they always do that. Well, what you're doing is prejudice. You're prejudging them. And I'm glad that God didn't prejudge me. Instead, the scripture says, while we were sinners, he still sent his best to save us. Are you with me? We walk in this prejudice. Here's what prejudice is. It's preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. You want me to read it again? It was good, right? That one hit preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. I'm a pastor, as you know, and so I talk in front of a lot of people every week. And so from time to time, very rarely, somebody has a judgment against me. And can I tell you, most of those judgments or prejudices come from the preconceived opinion that is not based on an actual experience. Are you with me? And so here's what my counselor has actually taught me to start to investigating. <clears throat> He's this old dude. You're going to think I'm making him up. His name is Chip Judd, and just the best guy just drops wisdom. you would think he's fake. He may have in his other life, been like a troll from Frozen, just like everything he says is like the best. And so he says this. Uh, I heard him saying this this, this week on a, on a little thing that you can video chat into. He said this: "We have to learn in it. What is, We have to learn what is an excuse and what is actually somebody's experience. I think many times we have prejudice against somebody or we prejudge somebody because we hear their what we say is an excuse and we just say, that's an excuse, that's an excuse. But I think wisdom and genuine love is coming down and finding out, is that actually an excuse or do they have a genuine experience that has caused them to, to live this way? Have you ever, probably never, had a judgment or a prejudice against somebody. You had a thought toward them. You, you categorized them, you judged them a certain way, but then you actually got to know them and heard their story. And it changed the way you thought about them. That's the difference between just judging somebody as making excuses and taking the time to learn their experience. Are you with me? And so that's what we do. And I'm so grateful that Jesus, that Christ, that heaven didn't do that for us. He didn't say, oh, that's what they are and that's who they are. Instead, because he loved us, he came and saved us right where we were uh, for fun um, and to make a little extra money. I work on dirt bikes. And so uh, dirt bikes, go-karts, really anything that I can kind of tune up, clean up, fix up. And so I'll, I'll find them all beat up on Craigslist or Marketplace and I'll bring them home and go in the garage and work on them and clean them up and It's a good headspace place for me, where I get to be in the garage and you know do that kind of stuff. And it also gets me out of watching all the stupid shows like uh, This Is Us and a million little things. And I mean, like, wait, so that like I I have enough drama in my life. I don't need to watch five more hours of exhaustion on these shows that you guys all love. And they're all like, oh, they win awards, and I'm like, why? They're terrible. I am so sad. So I go in the garage and close the door and start dirt bikes and huff exhaust, you know, it's still better than, I don't huff exhaust, just so y'all know, stop prejudging me. So all throughout the year, the best time to buy dirt bikes is the middle of the winter because no one's riding them and no one's buying them. And so if you live in my neighborhood, you'll see me uh, often with all these different dirt bikes coming and going, and then I'm in my garage and running a heater and fixing up all these different things. And I had a neighbor who's recently moved, so don't try to figure it out because we got neighbors who come to this church and uh, there'll be, you know, some of you'll be, I wonder if it's that one. Don't worry, <laughs> they moved but would prejudge me, came over and said, must be nice to be getting all those new dirt bikes all the time. I'm like, well, actually what you don't know is this is like a second job for me. I'm in here working while you're watching your shows through your window prejudging me. <laughs> anyway, anyway. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm just out here doing my thing. And so, anyway, came over and told the story. Well, actually, I I fix these up, and I sell them, and it gives us extra money, and we get to go on vacations, and I help my friends buy other bikes, and they get to ride with us, and we do it. And so I told them the whole story. I said, oh, my gosh, I feel bad. I didn't know. I said, yeah. So once you learned the whole story, it made a difference. Are you with me? And uh, some of you are like, we need to figure out who moved out of their neighborhood. (laughs) Um, so I lied a little bit. They didn't move out of their neighborhood. I murdered them. They're in, my, they're in my backyard, buried. So don't even have to worry about it. I'm kidding. I don't know how I went from a sermon about love to murdered in my backyard. But yeah, that's what... Uh, Thad, he's from Chicago. He's covering my tracks already. And it's on video, bro. Like, what do you... So what happens if you don't let me preach for a month? Robert Morris all... My, preconceived opinion that's not based on reason or actual experience. We do that all the time. We walk around all the time being like, I can treat you like that because I believe this about you, but you have no experience in their situation. It is a huge, huge failure in how we love people. I believe it's a major way that we're leaking the way that we should be loving one another is based on how we're prejudging. I'm so glad that God didn't do that to us. As a matter of fact, John chapter three, verse 17, we all know John 3, 16, verse 17 says that God sent his son not to judge, but to do what? To redeem us. How did he redeem us? He redeemed us in love. God sent his son not to come and judge, but instead to love us and redeem us by love. Are you with me? So the question we should be asking ourselves is not, is it right? Is it wrong? How should I keep score here? How should I judge this? It's not, is it right? Is it wrong? Our question is, is it loving? The question isn't, is it right? Is it wrong? How should the question is, how can I be loving in this situation? How can I show God's love? Are you with me? Point number two is love covers our imperfections. First Peter chapter four, verse eight says this above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Do you know that love is a big part of how we overcome our shortcomings? The way, because again, this isn't saying, hey, sin however you want. What this is saying is like, look, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory. And one of the things that helps us overcome that is the way that, that we love one another, is the way that we pick one another up in love. Are you with me? And so, it helps us, love helps us overcome our shortcomings. There's no better example of this than funerals. Uh, I'm involved in a lot of funerals with what I do. And so I'm telling you, the number one message of a funeral when someone passes away is basically this. Hey, nobody lives a perfect life. He wasn't perfect, she wasn't perfect, did a whole bunch of, bunch of wrong things, right? All this stuff is happening. Like it, there's no perfect, but, and then they begin to describe what? All the ways they loved so well. You know what covered all the shortcomings and all the mistakes and all the failures and all the, is the way that love won the day. So I'm not saying, oh, go live however you want, make all the mistakes you want, because at your funeral, they're just going to talk about the way that you loved. What I'm saying is, is if love is the motive and the emphasis and the passion and the pursuit, it covers all the times that we come up short. Are you with me? I thought about like this. Um, be careful how I say this. I've heard that sometimes some wives might occasionally, possibly nag their husbands. I don't know anything about that. You guys are so uncomfortable. Just chill. (laughs) I set that up too tense. You guys are like, here's what I would say is this, whether it's pastoring this church or parenting my kids or loving my wife and my marriage, Guess what doesn't motivate me, nagging, the rules, a list. Do you know what causes me to want to be better? The ability to love my wife better. The ability to love my kids better. It's love that causes me to rise. Are you with me? It's love that says, hey, I love these kids. God's blessed me with these children. Because of my motivation and love for them, guess what I wanna be? Better. My daughter's seven, she's probably getting close to doing this, but she's never showed up in my life and been like, hey dad, I've been thinking, here's a list. Could you be a little better this way? Yeah, honey, I'm gonna get to work on that. No, it's because I'm observing their life. Does that make sense? So what I'm saying is our motivation to be better as believers and Christian Christians should be our love for one another and the things that we're involved in. Do you want to know why I feel like some Christians aren't rising and aren't growing? It's because they're not walking in love toward one another. There isn't that motivation of love because we're what? So stinking selfish. Are you with me? I hope that makes sense. That makes sense? All right, I'll close with this. And I'm actually going to, I'll give you this point and then I'm going to have you close up all of your your things because I'm going to read a scripture here, but point number three is this: love is our message. Love is our message as Christians, our message as Christians. and God's message and Jesus' message is love. Love is our message. The scripture goes on in verse 35 to say this, "By this, speaking of love, by the way that we love one another, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you what, love one another not if you keep the rules, not if you quote all the scriptures, not if you know all the answers, but if you love one another. The gospel is a message of love. You know this. The scripture says that God is love. That's who he is. God's nature, who he is, is love. So I'm going to read a lot of scripture here. And these are scriptures that would tend to get you to tune out. It's a lot of Carry on in addition, and this means this, and this means this. And so I realize that as I'm reading this, I'm going to read for like the next four minutes. But as I I realize, as I read this, you're going to start to think about what you want to do next. You're going to tune out because it's quite a bit of reading, but I'm challenging you right now. Put your devices away, the words aren't going to be on the screen. Hear this word because if you're a Christian and you're in this room, your message is love. And why is your message love? Because God is love and God is in you. So we've got to get these verses right. So just listen to this as I read 1 John chapter 4, starting with verse 7. It says this, says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. That's where our love comes from, God, because God is love. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So if you're walking in love, you know God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins again, while we were sinners, he sent us perfect love. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There it is again, because God loved us so much, it should cause us to what? Love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God's love is not complete in us until we love one another until we make the mission of our life how we love one another. Not how we keep score, not how we prejudge, it's how we love one another. Here's the passion translation of what I just read you. Those who are loved by God, let this continually pour from you to one another because God's love, because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God. For God is love. The light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. We're called to love people long before they love us back. It was his love, not ours, He proved by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins delightfully loved ones if he loved us with such tremendous love then loving one another should be our way of life if that's what he did and paid for and bought and put in position for us then it ought to be our way of life no one has ever gaze upon the fullness of God's splendor. But if we love one another, God makes his permanent home in us and we make our permanent home in him and his love is brought to its full expression in us. The fullness of God's love is on expression, in expression, on expression, on display when we are walking in love toward one another. Romans chapter 12, verse nine, a few more scriptures. It says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. That doesn't mean you love them to your face and talk to them about this. Are you with me? It doesn't say at church we say we love the world, but then we live the way we want to at home. It doesn't say we care about seeing the world, experience God's love, but then we don't steward our lives in a way that helps produce that. Are you with me? Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. The Passion Translation of that version says... Let the inner movement of your heart always be love one another and never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and be virtuous. Verse 10, be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor in one another. The New Living Translation says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Meaning don't click like on all the things and say amens in the sermon about love and buy the scriptures from Hobby Lobby and put them on your wall. No, don't pretend. Actually do it. Like serve in your church and serve in your community and give in such a way that we actually are loving people. Love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Here's what I believe. That's my last thought. I believe the number one problem facing America is not government. It is not education, it is not corporation, it is not the billionaires. It is not media, it is not sexuality, it is not economy, it is not healthcare. The problem with America is that we have a love problem. We are not walking in the fullness of God's love toward one another. It would solve identity issues, it would solve poverty issues, it would solve all of the issues the church could stand up and show how to love the way God called us to love. And the way that God called us to love is to love one another the way that he loved us, which is unconditionally. Let me pray for you. Bow your heads, close your eyes. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for your word and for your way. Lord, I pray that you help us live out this tough call that you've called us to. We know it's weighty. We know it's heavy. We know it's challenging. We know it hits us in ways that we're tempted to to do it the wrong way. But God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is helping us get it right. You haven't left us on our own to figure it out, but you've empowered us with your helper. Lord, I pray that in whatever areas we may be off, God, I pray that you help us do what we can to make it right. In Jesus' name, amen.